On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. Ireland remained on course for another Six Nations Grand Slam after recording a comprehensive win over Wales at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday. And on the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast, we will assess Ireland's campaign to date after three consecutive bonus point victories has been on the cusp of back-to-back Six Nations titles. Will Slattery here with you, delighted to be joined in studio by Rory O'Connor and on the line by Luke Fitzgerald. And Rod, it's been dominant, it's been impressive, three wins out of three, 11 wins in a row in the championship stretching back to 2022. You know, a lot to get into tonight as we look back on not only the Wales game, but, to, you know, kind of take stock after the opening three weeks of matches. But for you, what's kind of jumped out to you as the most impressive thing of what Andy Farrell's side have achieved over the last couple of weeks? I, I think the way they've parked the World Cup and been able to perform as if it never happened is, is incredibly impressive, especially in the wake of Johnny Sexton's retirement. And we all know how important he was to the team um, right up until, the, you know, the fact that he stayed on until the 80s, what was it, 83rd, 84th minute in, in Paris. Um, as they tried to kind of overcome that deficit against New Zealand, you know, that the Farrell, even in that moment, never it never seems to cross his mind even to, to replace Johnny Sexton, that he went down with the ship, he was the captain and he's not there anymore and the, the ship's fine. You know, it's 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 been re- really impressed, impressive. And I think if you go back to the, you know, not many people team, sorry, not many people were, were tipping Ireland to win this tournament, but because I think we all thought there would be a bit of a hangover, we all thought there would be a bit of a transition after Johnny, um, and the way the team has picked up and, and, and the, where it left off with Jack Crowley at the helm is, has been super impressive. And, and I think when you contrast it with France, it's even, you know, it, it, like there's such a, uh, the, the graph has moved in such different directions from those, for those two teams who were two of the best four teams in the world at the World Cup not that long ago. One is now plummeting and the other one is still, you know, right on, on course and, and kind of looking like it's going to, re, you know, retain its title and win it back-to-back Grand Slam. So um, I think there's lots to like about Ireland. There's lots that's impressed me, but I think that mental resolve to just park the incredible disappointment of a World Cup 
uh, ending the way it did and come back a couple months later and keep performing has been very impressive. Yeah, because it feels like a page has been turned, but it's like in terms of just days or months since the World Cup, it's been a very short space of time, but it, it feels like a lot of time has passed. But as you say, to be able to hit the ground running from, from night one when it was it was set up for France to hit the ground running. It was Marseille. It was this new venue. There was a great atmosphere. And then Ireland just went out and laid waste to France. And it's hard to know if Ireland had played poorly and France had maybe squeaked the win, would all of a sudden have they been able to kick on? Or if it was almost like the well had been poisoned from a French perspective heading into the tournament. It's hard to know, I suppose. Well, I think what we can... I think we can ascertain from France's ill-discipline, from their inaccuracy, that they're not the same team that they were, that they're, that something has been broken within that setup. I mean, obviously they've lost their best player as well, but they haven't dealt with that in any way uh, as well as Ireland have. Um, and, you know, Philemps are getting two yellow cards that night. It's, it's almost like a canary in the coal mine as to, as to how the... He's a very reliable, solid international rugby player who's... Reliable you know, to get a yellow card as well. Well, right. sure, but like, you know, I, like even there was such... There was so, you know, to, to make the same mistake twice in the same game and I just thought that was... It spoke volumes about where France are mentally and how they have been broken by that World Cup. But um, just Ireland didn't give them a chance. Ireland didn't allow them that opportunity. They never gave them a sniff and, and they haven't given anyone a sniff really across the three games. Probably last Saturday was their least impressive of the three performances in some ways, but I think Wales played a big part in that. And yet they were still able to beat the spread and, and you know, it took them... 81 minutes to, to get the four tries, but their their record of getting bonus points in the Six Nations is remarkable. So, like, it's the best Irish team we've ever seen, certainly the most consistent Irish team we've ever seen. And to be able to do that while kind of making that major change away from Sexton to integrate a, a new 10, to use the squad, like, he's, he's used a lot of players. I think he's used more players than nearly anyone else in this tournament, uh, Andy Farrell as well, you know, using that Italy game to make a lot of changes. Um, there's there is such a good spot. They're in such a healthy spot. The the great shame, I suppose, is that it's three years until the next World Cup until they get a chance to kind of right that wrong because it's hard to know what they can. Like I think the big challenge for him as he you know refreshes the team over the course of a couple of years is also to try to keep motivation levels high because they're so far ahead of the pack and they're winning the, these games so comfortable to keep reframing things and keep that consistency high. I guess the All Blacks have, have been able are the only team we've ever seen who, who have been able to do it, but. Their relentless winning record is is it's very impressive. Yeah, eleven Six Nations wins in a row, all of them by double digits as well. I think thirteen points is the lowest winning margin that they got twice in last year's tournament. So they have, as you said, not only not given team a sniff over the last three match days, but going back to twenty twenty two in the tournament, they they've been very dominant and comprehensive. Luke, uh, from your perspective, like what's jumped out to you over the first three weeks in terms of what Ireland have done well or what you've been most impressed with in terms of anything Rudd said or, or what you've kind of gleaned yourself? Do you know what? Um I just haven't been surprised by I just think they're a really good team. The big concern for me was probably how Jack Crowley was going to fit in, but just because of how his form has been a little bit patchier maybe with Munster than I thought. Um, but he seems like a smart enough guy to have realized that thing that I was saying to you before the just before the competition started, Will, that he just kind of has to slot in there. And there's actually loads of really top quality players around him. Um, so that mental hurdle was always going to be the hardest thing for him was that he wasn't it wasn't going to be all about him that he just actually has to facilitate all the really good players around him I think he's done that really well and shown bits of class himself he stayed true to his kind of own style of play but also he's generally looked for the simple thing a few odd ones here and there which you'd expect from a kind of a budding international but um, yeah um, I, I think maybe I was I, I was expecting there might be some kind of slump um, 
but at the same time, I'm not, I'm still not surprised. Like if you think about the guys in that pack, um, I've just been so impressed with them. Like an open play, they're so hard to to contain. Um, and I actually thought Wales did quite a good job of that in the weekend. Um, I know we're going to get into the game a little bit more after this. Like, I mean, the officiating and us getting two yellow cards. Yes, I actually think we probably deserve two yellow cards, but how they didn't get one, even though the decisions were poor in the first half and very, very harsh at times, um, that was really kind of amazing to me how they didn't get a yellow card in the first half. It wasn't talked about at all. I was on a Welsh radio station for the game. Um, but yeah, look, that's I, I just feel like this team is a really... It's, it's a... It's like a tale of two different countries and, and and everything that kind of goes on behind the scenes. If you get me, like if you look at Ireland, I think we'll be consistent for quite a while, actually. I think we have a way of playing now, kind of similar to all those New Zealand teams over those years. That's why you get that consistency. And I think a lot of the provinces, like it's a real strong base that we're picking from. Conversely, you look at Wales and the regions and kind of how difficult things have become there um, for, you know, for various reasons. I, I think it's... I think you're seeing all that hard work and the real strong foundations come through this Irish team. And I expect us to be a real threat and one of the top three teams in the world, at least, um, I think, for the next 10 years. I really believe that. I think we've got a really good foundation. So long story short, nothing's really surprised me, Will. I've been really impressed with them. I think we've got a great coaching staff, too, which which does help as well. Very settled, you know. Um, Farrell and his coaching staff, he, he leads it so well, doesn't he? Like He's a real calming presence and seems to have a real good... I, I, I'm looking. They obviously are quite good tactically, but he has a, his man management skills. I think is what 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 it kind of that's what keeps that's what that's what calms me about looking on this team and can he continually reframe this for them? I think he'll be able to do that. I think his man management skills will, will be able to kind of bridge that gap and keep him there for a long time when there's going to be changeover of bodies like a Sexton goes um, or Peter Mahoney goes soon. You know, you know that kind of way. So I know I've covered loads there, but. Um, yeah, it's been so good to see. It's so enjoyable going to watch the team now. Like, even though they didn't play great in the weekend, like, it's great. Like, they, they still beat them very comprehensively, you know? Yeah, just to pick up the Andy Farrell point, Rude, because I think a testament you, you can pay to him and the coaching staff is that, like, going into this tournament, I was wondering about the form of some of the key players. You know, I didn't think Leinster have been unbelievably impressive this year. I know they got that big scalp in La Rochelle, but that was kind of a roll up the sleeves performance rather than one when they played, you know, really well from start to finish. And I think consistently you've seen when they go into Ireland camp, as good as they have been for Leinster or for Munster or for Conter for Ulster, the collective improves immeasurably, I think, which says a lot considering how good they generally are when they get into the Ireland camp. And that has to be down from the top down from, from Andy Farrell setting that tone. Yeah, and like they do talk an awful lot about how much they enjoy the environment. And it's not just talk. You can see it from me. Like I was around them a fair bit in Portugal um, before the tournament started and even just happened to be in the vicinity of their first their team meeting just after he'd he'd uh, he'd, he'd um named the team for the opening game against France and Marseille and I like no, I, w- I wasn't within earshot of being able to hear what was being said but I was nearby and all you could hear coming out of the room was guffaws of laughter like there was just this it was like a stand-up com- comedian was doing a doing a, a routine at the top of the room and then they went out and trained so there is um like that does help I think they really do like that stuff is not kind of trite sound bites you're getting out of camp. I think they do genuinely love being there. And like, that's half the battle, isn't it? Like, you know, being able to, obviously, obviously you also have to have a good sound tactical plan and be very good players, but they have that as well. And I think Farrell, the way he dealt with the World Cup 
failure and the way he framed it has gone, I'm already over it before, you know, at the Six Nations launch in comparison to what Galtier has been, Galtier has been hanging on to it and kind of, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, the, the French, it's kind of, they're, because he hasn't released it, the players can't release it either and it's kind of seeped into their whole tournament. Whereas, um, even though, I, like I listened to Hugo Keenan talking today and like, he's not over the World Cup and a lot of them aren't over the World Cup. They've been able to channel it into good performances rather than let it kind of seep into a negative mindset and the work Farrell's done with Andy with Gary Keegan I think has been key to that as well the bit of a change up in terms of going 6-2 on the bench having Crowley there it's just a little bit there's a bit of freshness without you know throwing the baby out with the bat water as well so I think Farrell's done a magnificent job I think he has done ever since kind of the well, obviously he was putting them in, when, when the results were going badly, the foundations were being laid and we couldn't see them from the outside. And, and what we could see was a pretty poor team who appeared to be going nowhere. And then obviously they had that game against England and ever since they've been on a roll. And I think what he's been able to do is successfully reframe um, the team's ambitions. He's been able to kind of, you know, he's never been satisfied. Like they had a good tournament in 2022 when they lost in France and, um, and he was like, that, that's not good enough. And the following year, they come back and win a Grand Slam. And this year, they're coming back having won the Grand Slam. And it looks like they're going to win the Grand Slam even better by larger winning margins with more bonus points. It's it's remarkable, you know. And I think he has, he is key to that. Like, he is the main man. He is the alpha in that relationship. He's not alone. Like, Simon Eastby's doing a great job at the defence. Paul O'Connell's doing a great job at the forwards. The lineout's improved. The players are performing. And they have to take responsibility to some degree for that. But Farrell also has put the conditions in place for them to do so well. Yeah, Luke, you know, we're touching the defence there. I wanted to get your opinion on it because you're always kind of one of your big things that you, you like to discuss. You know, I think in the last 13 Six Nations games, Ireland have conceded 13 tries only. The next best defensive record is 28 tries conceded, so almost double what Ireland have conceded. Like, how impressed have you been or, or what are you noticing in their defence that's that's been so successful for them? And even in this tournament, what, they've conceded three tries in three games. So that average, it's going to be very difficult to beat a team when you're only conceding one try a game. Yeah, it really is, provided, of course, that your kind of penalty count doesn't really balloon or whatever. But yeah, look, I think what, what impressed me most is, like, I still think they could be a little bit better um, out the pitch. But what I love about them is they really hang tight for each other. Um, like, there was a period in that game where Wales, if they got a try, I think it was 17-7 was maybe at one point or 24. So there was a period where, like, it was kind of in the balance. And they just really hung tight for each other. And they always seem to come up with that big turnover and big moments. The same thing happens in lots of the big games. Think of the South Africa win. You think of the uh, France win at times as well, even though I know they were down to 14 men. But there was periods where there was kind of big turnovers at kind of key moments. Guys kind of, you know, showing up for each other consistently. And it's that's kind of hard. It happens so often that I it sticks in my mind when I think of them defensively. Um, I think they're probably putting themselves in positions maybe a little bit more often than they have to. I think they're a better team than that. And I think there's still growth for them in the defense. But there's, it's it's one thing that you can't really quantify, but it happens so often that it's definitely a thing with this with this team is that they have great fighting spirit and they never give up. And they've got a real nice balance as well, I think, of guys who can really compete on the on the ground. They've got about four or five guys, no matter who from the bench or, or starting in that pack. And the two guys in the center generally excellent at competing on the ground so they're bloody hard like I played on teams that I, I always feel like it's something that's not really mentioned about the teams that I played on but it, Gordon Darcy and Brian Driscoll they were like two extra back rowers playing they were a nightmare like they, they'd, they'd come up with three or four turnovers a game if you were loose 
you know, and some backs aren't great at rooking either. Don't not that passionate about it. But I think this Irish team has a lot of that too. You think of Robbie Henshaw, you think of Bundy Key is a nightmare in there as well. I think of some of the turnovers he had against Wales in the weekend. Um, you know, particularly in the first half, like it stopped them getting any kind of momentum in the game. I, I think they've got that across the pitch. Um, and you've got to be tough and hard-nosed to have them, but you're going to want to fight for each other too. So so that's what I think is great about this defense. And I, I still think they've I still think there's a journey for them to go. There's like another, I'm going to call it two or three percent. You probably wouldn't notice it on the eye, and the stats are great. Um, and I think we could be cautious about that because I do think while we are getting, we're very positive and bullish on this team. I do think the competition is probably at its weakest for for quite a while. Um, you know, I can't think of an English player I'd put in a World 15. Maybe a Toje. Maybe. Uh, you know, and that's usually you'd have one guy where you'd have at least conversations. I, like they're really weak. France, as I said, are not in a good place. Um, Scotland seem to be in a good place. I don't know why, uh, but they are. Um, they're playing reasonably well, I suppose. Um, but um, I think it's a weak competition as well. So I think the summer is probably what I'll be looking more closely at. I think that'll be more defining for this team. And we can judge we can judge them a bit more closely about, you know, have they come on a little bit since the World Cup or are they still in the same place from, from that? But um, yeah, look, really enjoyable watch at the moment. And I love seeing them showing up for each other um, in, in defence. I think it's such a good trait to have in a team. They're incredibly fit as well, aren't they? I, like, I, I agree with Luke yeah. about the, the tournament is is not strong this year, but, uh, you know, all the teams have been going since, what, the end of June in terms of the, this, this long season. And I know the Irish players are managed better, than everyone else and like even Scotland have a lot of players based abroad so there's, it's it's harder for them to kind of manage and Gregor Townsend has, has had a big spiel this week about how he doesn't have access to his players in between rounds three and four because of rules premiership rules but Ireland's conditioning um, the work Jason Cowman and Kieran Ruddock have done with them um, is, is phenomenal even their injury record you know Keenan and Ringrose are back for, for Twickenham like there's very few players unavailable Mac Hansen really is the only of member of the the squad who's, who's who's kind of you know who or Jimmy O'Brien I guess as well who who they're missing they're in great nick for a World Cup year and that that seven and a half minute I was critical in the post game podcast of their game management in that period where Ty Byrne was in the sim and I did think they maybe should have gone to the boot a little bit more played a bit for territory got the ball off the pitch but watching them back again today they backed their fitness and I think we saw that the reward for that in the end game because they were still going. And to, in the build-up to Ty Burns try, and Dylan Lewis, the poor old replacement tight head prop for Wales, was gone. Like he absolutely gone. By the time Turlong waltzed past him, sorry, Burn was waltzed past him and scored a try. Tired, he had nothing left. Attempt, yeah. He had nothing left. He just he got he managed to nail Caelan Doris two phases before that, and that was his last act. That was it. He was done. He got up on his feet and he just couldn't do it anymore. And the conditioning that they have compared to some of the teams they're playing against, like France. Some of those players don't look very well conditioned at all. Um, and they're playing a different sport as well. Like, you know, they're moving the ball more. They're, they're determined to keep the ball on the pitch. They're determined to keep the ball in hand. They're determined to move the ball. They're determined to to, to, to go through the phases. And they're, they're, they're the fittest team in the tournament, I think, you know, and that's standing to them as well. So um, they're setting a standard for this tournament because they haven't dropped their standards. Everyone else apart from, I think Scotland are about the same as they were last year. And maybe a more mature team. I think Finn Russell's a more mature player, um, and probably look, a good point. Yeah, I think they, and they, they've bounced back a little bit from the World Cup very well. In fairness to Scotland, and they've probably got more cohesion. 
Um, everyone else, I think, has gone backwards to a degree. Italy are better than they were at the World Cup, in fairness, but they're not really in the conversation we're talking about. Yeah, you because know? when we were watching the World <laughs> Cup, I think everyone was kind of consensus agreement. There was four standard teams, France, Ireland, New Zealand, South Africa. Two of them don't play in this tournament. One of them is blown up. Yeah, That leaves one standout world-beating team in this tournament, and at the moment, that's kind of being borne out. Obviously, we're only halfway through. There's two tough games to come, but in terms of what we've seen thus far... It certainly looks that way. Like so, maybe we shouldn't be. Not that anyone's surprised. Luke said he's not surprised, and, and I am indeed, I suppose. But, but no one, no one saw France collapsing. Yeah. So I mean, I think the pre pre tournament expectations were that Ireland and France would have a bit of a hangover. But Ireland haven't had any hangover. And France have a, a terrible hangover. They're still and they still haven't. It might last four years. You know, like the way things yeah. are going. So I think there's there's a bit. Of, I think that's why we're surprised. It's. It, I think no one. Everyone was unsure with all the retirements and people stepping away. Everyone was unsure as to where everyone was. But like Ireland, are the Ireland and Scotland are the only the, ones. The last two years, it's been Ireland and France neck and neck. There was no real reason going into this tournament to think that wouldn't be the case mm. again. Because as you said, both teams suffered quarterfinal defeats. Both teams lost their captains, so it should have been kind of reasonably par. And I was expecting a cracker in Marseille, and then you know maybe it'll come down to points difference at the end. But yeah, the, the French. Decline has been it's been startling. Look, but but n- nine and ten guys is, is is a big loss. It's a big loss. Like you know, I know Jalabert is good, but I think we're kind of seeing now why that you know that 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 difference exists and why Entomac has made that jersey his own because obviously they were fighting it out. They were just kind of juking it out at a point, you know. Um, so taking those two guys out, and I, and I do think like Sexton. No, DuPont, DuPont is a different level. DuPont, I like I was having this conversation with someone where like I think he might be the best rugby player I've ever seen. And I thought I just I never thought I'd say someone might be more influential than McCall, but I think he might be. I think he's unbelievable. Now he won't have the World Cups, I don't think, to like maybe maybe he doesn't get mentioned in that conversation against McCall, but I I don't know, like he's just so like the stuff he was doing on the same weekend of the opening fixture against Ireland for Toulouse, like there was a break, of, there was a there was a phase of play where I thought he he literally has done everything in the game in that one phase of play, finishing it off with like a crossfield kick. I was like, the guy can do everything, you know. So I think we probably, I, I thought he might, I thought the team actually, I think I was giving the rest of the team more credit at the start of the tournament. I think I thought that kind of similar to Ireland the rest of the players were like really, really outstanding, you know, and that it would just be a case of kind of feeding them and kind of fitting into a system. I don't think that's the case with with, with France anymore. I think actually DuPont is bloody important for them. Like, and he's a nightmare. Like he, he seems to occupy so much space in the opposing team's mind as well because he's on the ball so much. And then remember Raj talking about like, you know, he's, pretty much impossible to plan for because he always seems to be around the ball even if there's a break in play you know when it's, when it's kind of loose ball and stuff so I think probably we we that that we might be underestimating the impact of losing those two guys whereas we only have one and you have the likes of Conor Murray and Gibson Park to kind of mind you through it you know and Gibson Park has become such an important part of Ireland's game plan so sorry I just thought I'd say that just because I do yeah, think good point. you know when he comes back in and Entomac come back in you know things could change um quite quickly for this French team so uh, you know I think maybe ne- like next year's competition for example uh, you know I could see the I could see them being back like I think France have fixed a lot of the problems with within the game there and they should I, I think we should see them a more consistent outfit going forward but those two guys coming back in will change the game I, I, I do think it is funny like before the tournament you know I was talking about DuPont going to the sevens and I was saying I didn't agree with it I thought it was bad for the captain to be stepping away 
in terms of after the World Cup, but I couldn't have foreseen how bad. If I thought, if I knew it was going to be this bad, I would have been railing against it even more. I wonder what he what he feels now, what his teammates feel, what Fabian Galtier feels. I know everyone thinks he's a you know whatever he, he's a bit of an asshole, but like the, the captain's left him in the lurch, like, and now the team is yeah. is going off the rails. What do the French supporters think who pay for their season tickets? You know, if Johnny Sexton was in his mid twenties and had decided to play sevens instead of retiring, like, didn't look like it bothered Antoine Dupont over in Vancouver as he made his his first steps. <laughs> as, pretty uh, awesome. It looked awesome, man. I, yeah. He, I think he's being pretty pretty single minded and selfish and gone like. I, I missed the chance to win a World Cup in, in Paris. I'm going to go and win an Olympic medal. And that's, I think that's the way he's framing it for himself. And and it, it does it does seem like he's not really getting the flack over there. I think a lot, like the focus is on Galtier, who I think does have a lot of enemies uh, within the French game. Um, I think his... It he looks like they're really waiting to pounce. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I, I, like there, there are... In my mind, there are parallels with Ireland in 2008 when, when 2007 went so badly and then, you know, Eddie's last year in 08 and things went really sour really quickly and, uh, you know, a very successful coaching um, regime came to a very sour end on the back of a World Cup disappointment. But it does sound like the French really can't afford to get rid of Galtier. At the same time, Brendan Fanning in, in our jury on Monday had some figures about how much they're in debt after that World Cup and it's pretty pretty high. So, and he's, he's under contract until the next World Cup. So, they look like a team who need to get to the end of this tournament, maybe get on tour during the summer and bring in some fresh faces um, and obviously get Dupont back on board for November and, and just get a bit of a break from each other. It's uh, like, it does look like the ultimate World Cup hangover that they're, you know, they will get over it at some stage, but they look so much like the France of pre-2019. Mm. You know, Mark Lievermont's France or Guy Noves' France, that team that was just so depressingly awful and added so little to the Six Nations. And Ireland always found it difficult to beat all the same, but it was, uh, it's, it the, the tournament is lesser for them being so poor, definitely. The, the thought did occur to me that if like Galtier all of a sudden, you know, they lose, you know, to England or to Wales and it really goes pear-shaped, he, he leaves. Ronan O'Gara could potentially be the next French coach. For, you know, he's, I know Larochelle had a sticky couple of weeks, but he's won two Champions Cups. He could win another trophy this year. He'd be surely one of the standout candidates to take it on. We've seen that he can coach in French, you know, with a bit of a cork twist on it. Like, that could that could easily happen. Like, not easily, but like, that's, that's not a far-fetched possibility. I think it's unlikely because I don't think they've ever had an overseas coach before. And I'd say they would look at Toulouse for probably their, you know, the, and, um, Ugo Mola. Thank you, Will, because his name had escaped me briefly there. But I mean, he works with the nine and ten. That they're the bulk suppliers. I, I I agree. He is the outstanding. He's one of the outstanding candidates for the job, and and I think will do a very good job with with that group of players. But I I just think the French would probably bulk at the idea of someone not from France still, even though it's quite normal in most other countries. You, you never know, though. I mean, England went and got overseas coaches in, in the form of Eddie Jones in, in, when they were in crisis. But what do you reckon, Luke? Um, I, I think the obvious candidate would have been for them, uh, like Joe Schmidt would have been a really obvious candidate. Like his French is like, he's got beautiful French, you know what I mean? Um, and they didn't go with him. No, so he's got really good French. Like, you know, he's a teacher, extremely bright guy. Like, uh, not that Raj isn't, but Schmidt's on another level. <laughs> um, and his French is, is ridiculously good, I think. And if they didn't get him at the time, I remember thinking, yeah, I, I think you're probably right, is what I'm saying. Um, they seem to go from from within. Although, um, you know, I think I think they might be looking at this current setup and think, do you know what? Like, Sean Edwards, like, he certainly doesn't look like he's got a... <laughs> a nice snoss and his French, do you know that kind of way? So, um, you know, maybe they might be looking at, and I think, sorry, 
I think while they're not doing great in this tournament, I think he's had a big impact over the last number of years he's been there. And they might look at that and say, do you know what, actually, um, you know, it, it might be okay to look, you know, so, somewhere else for, for different knowledge, for different ideas. Um, but I do think that's a really difficult job. I remember talking, I think Bernard Jackman has some really good insight on, on the process there when he was over um, in coaching in France. And just into how the FFR seemed to, uh, go about their business I, I think it is a political beast you know to be the French coach and it's very very difficult to to manage all the different views and some of the kind of old school ideas that were very prevalent before um this kind of setup is kind of it's like the last two probably the last two setups they've been reasonably professional but uh, professional you know but I think Galtier has done a massive amount with this World Cup to get his hands on the players you know a little bit earlier and different things like that so I, and I think they're a good bit more professional um so I think with that you might say they might yeah, they might take a more ruthless view on it and say, well, who's the best coach in the in the country? And you'd probably have to say O'Gara has been, um, you know, despite the losses in the top 14, I think the Champions Cup and what he's done with La Rochelle um, could be a candidate, but I, I, I'm leaning towards unlikely. I, I think you guys are right. I think it's, it's for whatever reason, they don't seem to want someone outside of France having the top job. Um, it's certainly interesting. I hadn't thought, I, I know we've, Sorry, we've been talking about Galtier being under pressure, but I hadn't actually considered that they would that that he might the job might be on the line. I I feel like they might stick with him just for a tournament, you know, uh, given some of the loss he's had of kind of key guys. But yeah, it would be interesting to see who 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 would come into play for that role. Yeah, it'd be his first kind of setback since he took the job. I, in art that jury you referred to, I said he deserved another kind of six nation or another window, certainly to to try to right the ship. But like we've seen in France, you know, more so than any other country, they are pretty quick to make coaching changes. Certainly in the top fourteen, anyway. So, so we'll watch that space. Um, while we're on the you know subject of France, like the end game against Italy was obviously very dramatic. Paolo Garbisi hits the post, the last penalty. I think we're all in agreement that that should have been retaken with a pen, you know, given a penalty, yeah. given the encroachment. But like, what does just make of that whole scene? Like it was just it encapsulated so much of the, the drama, but then kind of confusion over rules and stuff. Like it was just, yeah, it was all yeah, over the place. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I mean, it was incredibly dramatic, and it was a, the the second half was one of the most dramatic games you're ever likely to see. In the way, it kind of the pressure mounted and mounted on France, and Italy kept having kind of been conservative initially, started to play, started to play, and they they played a great game. Italy, and um, France, like if you were looking, if you were Galtier, and you were, you know, I, I'm sure their ex, their expected points was pretty high on, on on Sunday. I think they probably created enough game enough chances to win two games in the first kind of 40, 50 minutes. But as the doubts were placed in their mind and the Italians grew in confidence, like the way they took that try was just superb for Quazzo. So um, like it's what we want from this tournament. We want every game to be competitive, really, don't we? I know as our, our Irish people, Irish fans are quite comfortable with them winning games by 30 points every week. But really what you want is six teams who are fairly equal. And France and Italy being equal makes for a far greater... It's like it's a game you don't want to miss anymore. You know, like the, the Italy game next week, you'll, you'll make sure you watch it because, you know, well, could they take down... They're England as well in the first uh, round. It's only that second round game, which is the outlier. Well, year. again, it goes back to what we were talking about in Ireland being so far ahead of the pack. So the, um, like, it's it's much better to see, to have an Italian team who have a chance and have players like uh, Manicello and and um, Capuazzo and, and like they're down a couple of bodies in their pack as well, but they... They, they were very good and they managed the game very well. And it looks like, I think we all saw how stale things got under Crowley from the Netflix documentary. We could see how that led into a World Cup that went awry. But the new voice, um, the fact their 20s are winning again. You know, the winning yeah, game. I was going to say the 20s have been unbelievable roads, haven't yeah. they? So that's like, it makes such a difference, doesn't it, Luke, to have 
them as a proper part of this tournament now. They're not just a nice weekend in Rome. They're actually a, a viable challenge to, to some of the teams. And you would hope some of those, because I don't think this is just, I know obviously we're, we're all talking about this fixture against France in the weekend for the 20s, but I think uh, if I'm wrong, and I don't watch the 20s enough, to be honest with you, uh, or, or to keep a close enough eye, and particularly the other teams anyway, but I think they've had, have they had two or three good teams in a row now yeah. that have been kind of competitive. So like that is, that is always going to be the key for this, you know, Italian outfit. They're never going to be picking for massive resources. Um, you know, to have some young guys coming through, like that'll kind of, you know, I, I think that would create as well that little bit of, I suppose, an interest for the public there as well. You know, some kind of exciting young talent coming through. And I think that would be so good to see. But yeah, it is great to see them kind of turn things around, you know, be an interesting fixture now. Like be a team that you're going, geez, Rome, like that's going to be tough. Um, so you, you want to have um, you want to have these kind of games where where it's kind of tight. And I was delighted for them. I would look good at it in the same breath, but delighted that they got a result against France because look, I still think France are bloody like particularly like you know at home, bloody difficult team to to beat. You know that kind of way. So um, yeah, and look, it's a shame that it ended the way it was. Like even the ball falling off the tee, like no one's really. How did that happen? Match, like really. I looked like, know how that actually happened. Lucky too. Like do you know what I mean? So it's like a, a comedy of kind of like. Well, it's an indoor stadium. Like, it's, can, it, can you call it an error if it falls off the tee? Like, so you got the bit of bad luck. Then you've got obviously all the panic because everyone has moved on because it's a penalty as well. I think everyone's being pretty harsh on the ref. The ball is still in play. Do you know what I mean? So I'm sure in his mind he's probably like, okay, but he's taking the kick. If the ball's falling off is another thing that's going to cause you going. This is out of the ordinary. I'm not. You know what I mean? So straight away there's all these other kind of elements going on. He hits the post. They're chasing it down to see if they can force an error. Uh, from the French winger, I think it was Moana. Like it's just like chaos at the end of the game. So I can see why he missed the guy charging the penalty, if you know what I mean, because there's so much happening. Um, but I was delighted to see them get like some sort of result. You know, I think it was very pleasing, and I think it's good for the tournament. I agree. I think a worrying kind of slide the last couple of years with them, and probably was a little bit worried about where they were going. Um, but I think the stuff of the twenties and the little bit of resurgence this year has been very pleasing. And and they seem to be playing a good brand as well. You know, a few good tries here and there as well, uh, particularly against England. I mean, um, you know, England kind of might, might be kind of shut off towards the end of the game. England had a strong kind of middle third of the game, didn't they? Um, but uh, towards the end, you know, when Italy started playing, like you'd hope that there's a bit of that belief maybe that they kind of got from that. I think that that maybe can can they can sustain for the rest of the tournament and be a bit of a threat. You'd love to see them take another scalp as well. I think Wales are there for the taking for them. Well, they've sold out. Um, they sold out the game against Scotland this weekend or next weekend in record time. I think both of their games, they sold, they've never sold more tickets for the Olympico. And I don't know if if it's the new coach the, or probably the, the Netflix effect to some degree. And, and Can't be the World Cup anyway. Uh, no, definitely not the World Cup. But, um, <laughs> it's definitely not the World like, Cup. <laughs> and like there's been signs, you know, I think Crowley did a good job. It just ran out of steam. You know, that win in, in Cardiff a couple of years ago, the beat Australia, there have been signs. And it looks right, like the 20s, like their, their 20s have been way better than Scotland for the last couple of years, you know, and probably Wales, Wales as well. Yeah, yeah. So they've got consistent results at that level, thanks in a large part to the work uh, of Steve Abood when he was over there under working for Conor O'Shea. So there's a bit more of a platform for them to build on. And um, I think they're a genuine threat to both Scotland and Wales. I think Scotland probably, are, as I said, are, are in good form and, and mature enough to get over there and get the result. And they haven't had that much trouble with Italy in the last couple of years. But what I liked about them in Dublin was that must have been a horrible day. You know, they didn't score a point. They didn't play particularly well, but they 
Italian teams have come over to Dublin and it's gone that way and they've they've basically just sacked it in after about 50 minutes. But that team was still tackling, still defending, still organised right until the death. And, and Ireland had to play some pretty good rugby to get the, 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 the scoreline that they did. So there was an attitude there and, it's, and a buy-in, I think, to Kassad, what Casada is doing. And like Casada, like the big obvious thing about the Netflix documentary, and I know I keep going back to it, was like Crowley and Neil Barnes talking to them in English the whole time. Whereas Casada's gone in, he's talking, you know, he's, he's Argentinian, he speaks Italian, he's speaking to them in their own language, he's talking about buying into a more Latin kind of culture and stuff. And he's, I, I'm sure when Crowley first took over, it didn't bother them, but at, towards the end, they must have been going, hang on a second, you've been here for how long and you're not even making an effort. I think that does wear off with players. So look, it's, you know, they've got a, they've got a, a draw, so they've got something tangible for this year. But they've a chance to finish above Wales if they can if they can get a result in, in Cardiff and um they you know they could run Scotland close as well. So it, like that's that's positive progress and it's good for the tournament. The, like I think it was a real full circle moment that Garbizi almost got timed out considering Casada used to take like three hours to take a penalty <laughs> when he used to play international. I think they brought in shot clocks later because he would literally just stand there for like forty five minutes standing over. I, his ball. I just can't believe there's no sec like there's no camera footages emerged just focusing on the ball like you know with all the phones in the stadium. Yeah. How no one he got must an have angle? Put, he must have put it at like a, like just on like the edge of a table. You know when he puts it like, on the edge of a table and it's kind of teetering for ages and just falls <laughs> off. But yeah, it's such bad look. That that was that was my I kind of was surprised that like. Because obviously everyone's talking about it should have been retaken, which it should have been. No one talking about dropping off the tee, like such bad luck. Or but he obviously didn't. He obviously didn't place it correctly. Like I don't. What it, if there was a breeze or something? I don't it know. It was like, a roof in the stadium. Yeah. Like where's? I mean, breeze? there was a lot of celebration once they won the penalty as well. And and did that yeah. feed into the fact that did he have less time to do it? Did he rush it a little bit because he knew the clock was on? You know, I think there's there's. Um, I'd love to. I need to go back and watch it frame by frame. But like, I think we need someone's someone's the surely, emotional management of the moment was so <laughs> yeah, far, it wasn't to great because it wasn't an easy kick. Like it was, it, it was a genuinely tough kick, and he missed missed a couple in Dublin. You know, it's not like he's been brilliant in the, in this tournament off the tee. But, he actually did a pretty good. It was a pretty good attempt considering how little time he had. But, but more so that like no one was clued into the fact that like the, the charge downs were clear or the encroachment was clear. Like it happened like twice, and like how to captain or. The ball falling off will definitely would have caused like chaos. Everyone's like, "Oh, what's happening now? Is he going to drop kick it? Is he going to?" None of the I, other I players. No and, I, and we're also seeing a very inexperienced group of officials at this six nations. <clears throat> this six nations, and I think maybe a Wayne Barnes or a Nigel Owens or someone of that kind yeah. of uh, status would have seen this picture before and would have gone, "Hang on a second. Whereas Christopher Ridley is quite a new referee, and he he yeah, missed it. Like he, I he think he's one of the best referees. I, I but like yeah, like that was a miss. That was a missed moment. Like no doubt. Um, but yeah, provided plenty of drama. Just to switch back to Ireland for a second, Brud. So, like, we've talked about the positives. We talked about the dominance. Two matches left, though. They haven't won anything yet. They could still come second or come third if they don't uh, take care of business. What are the pitfalls? What are the things you're looking at over for the next two rounds to come, thinking this could scupper everything? Yeah, um, I don't really have an answer to that question. Yeah. I mean, I don't really you see... Say, yeah, you don't have to I don't things, really like... see anything... Let's Sorry, what are the pitfalls? Discipline. Their discipline hasn't been great. They've given away a lot of penalties. They're that's something that I'm sure they're working on when they get him back in camp in Dublin later this week. And um, if I think they give England access and if they give England a bit of control on the scoreboard, I mean, even as I say that, I'm thinking that they were 10 0 up at Murrayfield and managed to lose by nine points. So, you know, this is not a great England team. This is an England team that, if you read the English media, it's it's like you know it's guilty of muddled thinking. They're all calling for about 20 changes. You know, it's it's. It's hard to make a case. You're really looking at clutching at things like Twickenham 
and the fact that it's away from home and that, that even two years ago the record Ireland, Twickenham has been dire for like three or four years England like, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely England. and like Ireland won there Fiji, two years Argentina, ago Argentina Ireland multiple times South Africa you know Scotland twice yeah like, it's, like look if they underperform, they're not that good that they can They can get away with it against good teams. And I think Scotland, if it was in Murrayfield, I, I would be a little bit more cautious about that one. But really, from this point, if they play to their, anywhere near their potential in those two games, I think they win. They might be knocked off their stride for a bit, but they're a much better team than both of them. And like Scotland, even though I've been quite complimentary towards them here, you know, last year, Six Nations, they had the chance of a lifetime to beat Ireland and plan, and plan some doubts ahead of the World Cup. And they tanked in that second half. And then in the World Cup, when everything was on the line for them, they didn't show up until the game was over. So it's hard to take Scotland too seriously from an Irish point of view as well, because Ireland seemed to have their physical measure. And you've got Keane and Ringrose coming back. So like, it's not like Ireland are going to be weakened as it goes on. Ireland have a really you know, big selection dilemma going into next week as to how they kind of fit those two players into their 23. So whereas other teams are looking at dropping their out half, like England, you know, England, there's a big discussion now about whether George Ford should continue. How do they do they reconstruct their back line? Whereas Ireland are trying to fit into world-class players and figuring out how they can take anyone out of the team. It's such a position of strength. So, um, like, yeah, you, any team can lose any game and even the greatest teams are vulnerable when they don't get it right. Like, this England team only a few months ago nearly took out South Africa in a World Cup semi-final. So there is a possibility, but I find it difficult to make the case right now. Well, if it trenchy rains, like, all day in London, potentially, yeah. they could replicate that. But I think that was the key moment for me in, in that game. Luke, you know, for, from your perspective, anything... You know, from on top of what Rudd said, like any reasons for you to, or anything you've seen over the first three rounds that have given you a little bit of pause or anything you need to be that needs to be tidied up. Um, I think maybe the line out was a little bit of a worry on the weekend. I thought Wales kind of seemed to now they. I thought Wales competed really well, but um, if I was England, like with Borthwick, I think okay, where can we get into the game? And I'd say yeah, maybe we'll have a go at that again. Um, you know, and you think he'd do a pretty good job. They could be pretty disruptive there. Some pretty experienced guys there. Um, you know, that's very disruptive to this Irish team, to their flow. Like they build so much from. You saw what it did against Wales. You know, they were in great positions, and anytime there's open play, you think, "Wow, Ireland are bloody hard to contain." They're really, really good in open play. But if you get at their set piece and it gets a little bit muddly, a little bit messy, um, you know, they they certainly can can get out of step. Thought the ref like the scrum will definitely be an area where I think they will be watching it. Ireland seemed to get the rub of the green on the weekend against Wales, but you think England will definitely target those. So, so to my mind, you mentioned one thing as well. Like if it's raining, like that changes the complete complexion of, of the game. If that 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 Jones, that South Africa style defense will be way easier to implement in wet conditions and it will be way more successful and it'll be way harder to be you know effective in open play. Um, you know, so there's like rugby to my mind is like if you can be physical and this is why I'm always worried about away fixtures if England can keep 15 guys in the pitch if they're really physical if it's a wet day and if they can get at your set piece there's four things there you can do with re- that's that's hard work and organisation and basically preparation during the week um, and uh, you know Borthwick's a bloody hard worker he's renowned as a hard worker I, I can see them being well prepared for this they're hurting from Scotland too so emotionally there'll be that in the background Um so I just feel like this is a real dangerous fixture for Ireland. I think Scotland less so. Um, I think we have their measure. I'd agree with you guys. I, sorry, I agree with Rhodes. I'm not sure you made the point, but I'm pretty sure Will feels the same. <laughs> um, I think we have their measure. Um, but England causes problems, and I'd be worried about this, and I still think that'll be a one-score game. I know it hasn't been in Fortress Twickenham for quite a while, but I still think it's a it's an away fixture. Um, you know, 
they're not playing well. They're not a great team, but they'll be hard to beat if they defend well and if they're good at set piece. It's just rugby isn't that complex that way. Uh, and I think they'll have a good kicker on the pitch. If Ford is playing, like he still is going to be in the high 80s off the tee, probably still as a drop goal threat, as we saw. Um, so there's all these factors that make this a, a possibly sticky wicket type game, you know? I, I thought Wales probably gave them a little bit of a template as well. And I know like South Africa and Jones, Jones has a bit of a template because South Africa have probably slowed Ireland down. I know they haven't beaten Ireland in either of the games in recent years, but they've they've been low scoring tight games that have come down to miss kicks really. Like, you know, both the game in Dublin and the game in Paris, you know, Pollard wasn't playing and South Africa didn't take their chances and, and will probably feel like if Pollard was on the pitch, they would have won those games. So there's there's a few things there, but I do think Ireland I thought they were a little bit, I, I, complacency is a strong word, but I think they were a little bit off last weekend and I don't think they will be going to Twickenham. I think they'll get to the level that they, they were in Marseille. Watching back to some of the lineouts, like lads were missing lifts. Peter Mahoney misses a lift and actually in the build-up to, I think it was Calvin Nash's try, but the, they nearly didn't win that line-out because Mahoney was slow to the lift, which is really unlike him. I thought Wales, um, kind of when they were defending, were quick onto the so when the ball was pulled back by the front line to the second line, they 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 were almost anticipating that and were sliding onto it. They weren't um Andy Farrell said they were passive in attack. They weren't selling the dummy runners to 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 the Welsh defence and Wales knew where the ball was going to go. I think if they tighten that up and they're more convincing, if the if sometimes they go through the front door rather than the back door, they'll they'll find ways through England. I think Crowley showed against Exeter um, in Europe that he ha- he can find his way around the blitz defence as well. And also you've got like, Felix Jones is, is basically dusting off a template that was designed by Leinster's defence coach. So those players have, have got about seven or eight good weeks. And Robbie Henshaw said this in today's paper, there's seven or eight weeks of work under Jack Nienaber and now they're facing Jack Nienaber's defence. I, mean, I don't know if you saw Charlie Morgan's tweet at the weekend, but the first minute and a half against Scotland, uh, England did exactly what's, like exactly what South Africa did in the first minute and a half of the World Cup game against Scotland in, in Marseille. Like, by to, in terms of where the players were placing, where they kicked the ball, everything was exactly the same. They're basically trying to copy what South Africa did. So Ireland should be ready for that as well. So I find the angles to which, if Ireland aren't a bit off it as they were against Wales, and having faced what they faced, I just don't see, I can see them being knocked off the stride, but I don't see them losing. The, the bench would give you comfort as well, guys. We probably haven't mentioned that. Like, the bench was... Like anyone who asked me about the weekend, the game, the weekend, I, I actually just felt like the bench would be the difference. Um, because I thought it would be tighter if I'm being completely honest around the kind of 50 to 60 minutes. So I was wrong on that. Um, um, but I do think that the bench, like, well, like the, the, the impact that you get, like all top of the ground, like a few top of the ground type players too, which are Bairds and Conan, like not, not necessarily poachers on the ground, but God, like if you were tired coming up against those athletes, like absolute nightmare. You've got James Ryan who just chunked through the work. Keen Healy as well. So experienced. I think he had 11, did he have 11 tackles or something when he was on the pitch? A like, couple of huge just, carries. Yeah, a couple of big carries too. Like, so, um, yeah, I just think like, yeah, like even McCluskey was excellent, wasn't he? Like, like there's, there's everyone's kind of playing like reasonably well, and like the the bench would give you comfort that, you know, it's the one thing I'd say Ireland have as kind of a bit of an ace card against England. I think is that like, if the game is tight, and you would expect with Ireland starting fifteen that the game would be tight. Like, I don't think it's going to be like they don't look like a team that's going to be kind of blown out, if you know what I mean. Um, provided they don't have a like a, t- a catastrophe. With the red card, or you're talking about Ireland getting blown out by England. That, no, that's what I'm saying. Oh, like, yeah. I, I think, regardless, even if they don't play well, I think it'd be tight, is what I'm saying. 
And I think off the back of that, once you bring on your bench, I just think there'll be a difference. And that's what it give you that little bit of extra comfort that Ireland win the game no matter what against England. Do you know what I mean? They'd have to play really, really badly for that well, for, for them. And the, England to, played great to that point to lose this one. Like the last time they played in Twickenham in 2022, like Charlie Ewells got sent off for a couple of minutes. But remember, England got back into the game with those scrum penalties. So I think it was only 15 12, maybe. And the bench came on, Connor Murray, Jack Cohn, and had a really big impact. They ended up winning by like, I don't know, 20, 15, 20 points with a bonus point. But it was the bench that day. He really stepped up. And the point of discipline, I think Luke touched on, like the last three times England and Ireland have played, England have had someone sent off. Yeah. Twice, that was in the first half. And in that Grand Slam game, it does kind of get a little bit glossed over. Ireland were very nervy and not playing well at all in that game before that really contentious red card. I still think they would have had enough to get over the line, but they, they weren't playing very well in that game. And obviously the Charlie Eels one came after... Was it five or six minutes? So that mm. obviously changed the complexion there. And the other one was a World Cup warm game, so like it's, it's not as relevant. But they're at a they're at a much better stage of their development now, though. I think they're not as uh, I think like twenty twenty two. They were still kind of learning how to win and and had had a pretty difficult day in Paris two weeks beforehand, or sorry, four weeks beforehand, where they talked about how they kind of got freaked out by the occasion and by the noise. And Twickenham was unbelievable that day. I know it gets a bit of a bad rep for its atmosphere, but that day. They were so annoyed about the red card that they 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 were on their feet. They were loud. They were they were, and England really rallied. And their scrum was excellent. And Ireland was were in real trouble. And you're right, the bench came in and won it. Um, and last year, like I don't think you can draw parallels with last year really because they're not going to be as nervous because it's not a final. And they've been through that experience as well. And I know they didn't really show up for the first ten minutes in New, against New Zealand in the quarter final. And and you you know that is. You know, there is evidence of this team not necessarily, you know, when it's at its biggest, maybe not kind of, maybe not pitching up, although they did for the third test in New Zealand in 2022. So, um, it, like, they're, I don't see, even it's 15 on 15, I don't see them getting on top in scrum in the same way. I think if England pick their scrummaging props, then Ireland will try and make them tackle. No, I think it, they'll try and move Joe Marler and yeah, Dan Marler Cole around. Marler and Dan Cole like as their starting props see, in 2024. Is, it seems it, a bit... Like, if there's 20 scrums, brilliant. But if they have to kind of try and defend Ireland's multi-phase attack, then they're going to be in a bit of trouble. So Like, Marler, Marler George and Cole, it's not a... Mo like, compared to the Irish from row in terms of mobility and what they had around the pitch. Hmm. And the Irish guys, I think, can... can Well, they've certainly pitched up on the tight so far in this championship. I think it's no contest. Yeah, the question I have over the bench is, if Greenrose is fit... And you and Keenan's fit, and you put Frawley into the twenty-three jersey or the twenty-two jersey. Do you go back to five-three and put Ringrose in the twenty-three jersey, or do you stick with six-two and he doesn't make it? What do you think, Luke? I'd be leaning towards six-two away from home. So would you leave Ringrose out? Yeah, fair enough. It's hard to leave him out, I think. But I, I, I the got six you, two was the power you've get off the bench with you know having Conan Baird and James Ryan. If you're presuming they're going to go with the same yeah. composition, like that, that's such a weapon, especially as Luke mentioned in Twicken and with and Baird's lineout prowess, the way he's gone after like the opposition lineouts. I know he he didn't make the most of those two breaks, but like no one else in the Irish setup or even. There's very few players in world rugby that can make the breaks that he's making. Like, you know, and the, I think... Have they ever converted into scores? <laughs> I feel like they just, they're the end of the game in a highlight like, reel, but I'm actually like, do they actually ever lead to like... He almost got the offer. I think if he, one of the Welsh defenders did it, I think maybe Dakford Jenkins, I think, but he... He, he went the wrong way on one of them. He lost Gibson Park. Yeah, well, two, I think he should, like he should have backed himself and just gone at Sam Costello, but then he reloads and goes again, which was so impressive physically and he's just about to give the offload to Ronan Keller who's in but the the hand the Welsh hand comes in and this person but I think yeah 
They need to convert them a bit better. He needs to get better at converting them. But like God, it's, it's not something the, a second round running practices of training that often. <laughs> it's like what to do after making a fifty meter open field break? Because he he got one in this in the URC semi final against Munster. It was disallowed for like a knock on in the build up. But he I don't remember this year got the, the one that Munster won. I think he made a, a big break and scored a try. But then I think he got called back for a knock on. But yeah, got his hat trick against Glasgow all those years ago, didn't he? But uh, yeah, I mean Craig Casey kicked the one away against Italy, which was frustrating. Um, but look. He's doing the hard part. He's doing the part that no one else can do. You can coach him how to finish them off, I think. And uh, I, I think we'll be really... Or you cr- can coach him to not have to think you have to finish them off on yeah. that phase. Yeah. You Just know what I mean? Like, there's another way of thinking about it. Like, you, normally when a forward goes through because they haven't got the pace and everyone obviously, everyone else who's running after them doesn't have a ball. So they're even they're even that little bit more quicker, if you know what I mean. So they catch you quick. You're always saying, you know, cool the Jets, look for support. Whereas to him, I'd nearly say, do you know what? You know, you just keep going. Yeah. It's on everyone else to resource that rook. You just keep going. And I think it'll become obvious for them. You know, when you simplify that, simplify it for them a little bit sometimes where you're like, like look, don't be worried. You just, you take whatever, you, wherever you see the biggest space, you go for that. It's on everyone else to catch you. And then it kind of becomes obvious. You know yeah. that kind of way? No one saw it coming. Like, for, like Gibson Park's the first man onto the first break, but Kieran Frawley's kind of running away from him. You can actually see his face expression going, oh, shit. And he tries to catch up with him, and he's actually on the yeah. shoulder that Bear turns into, but he's just not quite there. Bear's so, faster than Frawley. Bear's so fast, yeah. they couldn't get with him. But I mean, again, they're only learning to play with this guy at international level. And look, you can't, as you can't plan for these breaks. But what a, like, I think it would be cruel to drop him at this point because I think he's been really effective in all the games that he's played. But Ringrose is such a compelling, it's such a compelling case for picking Ringrose as well. But I think you have to have, if you're going 6 2, you have to have Frawley. And so it's whether. Yeah, it's it's Bert. I think it's Bert. It's one of the most unusual, like presuming they're not going to break up the centre partnership. I think that would be very unfair to do that. You're in this really unusual situation of having to pick between a centre and a, and, a, and a kind of a number six. You've also got the thing of Omani hasn't gone through 80 yet in this tournament and they've kind of taken him off reasonably early in all the games as well, even though he's the captain. So there's, um, like it's a big dilemma, I think, for Farrell to kind of work through this week. And I my gut would be to stick with what stick with the winning formula. Yeah, and it's been like a, a, another thing that we, we has been discussed a lot, but like the, the configuration of the bench has been a massive kind of new feature of the Six Nations. Like he, it, it hadn't been done under Andy Farrell. Like if we talked about six two splits, seven ones, eight zeros at the World yeah. Cup, but like that's kind of not that it's underrated because it has been discussed a lot. But that was a, that's a big call now to be going for it in big games and and to be comfortable with it and seeming to be to be the new norm depending on who you're playing. Yeah. I would have called for it a few times. I think Sexton was the barrier because they were never sure that they could get Sexton through. And if they lost them early or they lost them, at, you know, that, that they kind of felt like they had to have a lot of backline coverage. And now because Crowdy can cover a couple of positions, he's younger, they're more confident that, that he can get through the 80. Obviously, Frawley's also given them a lot of comfort as well. Um, and also, they're, it's a sign that they've learned something from the World Cup. Now, you could argue that they didn't need to lose a World Cup quarterfinal to, to figure out that this was a, a way of playing to your strengths. Maybe they didn't. Jimmy feel... O'Brien had a good game though. That I actually went. Like, didn't oh, that was the best I've ever seen him play. He yeah. was un, he had an unbelievable yeah. cameo, didn't he? Because I was looking at the quarterfinal bench just, today to be like, would it but, have worked? But, but and also, yeah. and also no, yeah. the Sexton thing is the is the most important yeah. point point for me there. Yeah. Like you just because you have all those kind of soft tissue background, you know, he's pulling calves, pulling groin, things like that. Just things that happen to you as you kind of become an older player. You know, I I think that's the really sorry. I, you might be making another point on it, but I, to be honest with you. That to me encapsulates why you had to have the three. Mm. You know, you couldn't just have because then you literally couldn't have one more injury outside of your nine, and you obviously have to have a specialist nine there, uh, unless you have someone else who can kind of play it. But they never did. So, um, I think that's the most important point about the whole thing is that 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 has now changed. You now have a is he twenty four? 
like a 24-year-old uh, like in that position. And I think for, is Frawley 24 as well? He's 26. Uh, maybe he's 28. Is he 27 or something? 26, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, two young guys there at the prime of their career, you don't have to worry about them going 80 and pulling a hamstring, you know, that kind of way. So that, that really does help. Yeah, well, it'll be a big... And by the way, Frawley was outstanding on the weekend. I, I That was another thing I did not see. I, don't, we, we, I know we probably won't get a chance to cover it in depth, but that was unbelievably impressive. I thought he was brilliant at fullback. I really didn't think he would have the specialist skills to to thrive there. But he looked strong and quick. Some lovely bits of handling in there too. And the kicking game, it's nice to have... It was. It took a lot of pressure off Crowley, I think. It was nice to have another ball player there because if you pick Aki and Henshaw, you probably lose a little bit there, you know, just in terms... And, and you, look, I know Keenan's excellent there, but Crowley, oh, geez, I thought he was really good. I don't know if you guys... Yeah, I agree. I, th- I was I, impressed by I, him. I thought they were smart as well. I thought they... they because he's a centre you know, half of the season, they decided, well, why don't we put him in the front line and put Crowley in the backfield where he's comfortable enough as well. So actually, even the bombs that went up, very few of them Frawley was there for because he was up defending. So I thought they kind of integrated him into the team and protected him a little bit. Now, Wales didn't go after him in the way that Gatlin kind of said they would. He had to wait a long time to get into the game. That's what I was say. That, that's what impressed me most. When he got his touches, he was still super sharp because mm. the first half, I think he touched the ball properly for the first time like in the last couple of minutes of the yes. first half. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like, No, I agree. I thought and it was, your first start, like, you'll be nervy, but it, yeah. yeah, I thought I thought it, get, it will give them great comfort as you know they have now a backup. I, like We want to see him again in a bigger game against a better opposition who'll test them, but there's you know he is a viable backup for for uh, Hugh he, Keenan now. Good chance he might start at Twickenham. Like I was reading the Ke- Keenan quotes that was that Keen sent in earlier, and it was like, "Oh, I haven't trained yet." Like I think Keenan will be okay. Nah, he probably will be. But we, I remember Joe Schmidt saying one time, "Chris Farrell popped straight up and he, and he tore his ACL and never played." No, I don't know that didn't happen. Like you know, but we've heard them say updates before. My understanding, like because uh, we like the at uh, first Keenan. Keenan came out today and said he hopes to be fit. Farrell has said it, and like I always take these things with a pinch of salt, but from a fairly good source, I've heard that Keenan's on track for for Twickenham, and so is so is Ringrose. So unless there's a setback, and like it, it was a four to sixer, and we're looking at four weeks, so yeah. um, but he's so fit and so healthy, and looks after himself so well. I, I think he'll give himself every chance, and like if he is fit, he has to start. Yeah, well, there'll be plenty. Does Ringrose come in ahead of McCluskey as well? Well, that's what I'm saying because for all you if. I think if, so, so. Sorry, I'm thinking if Keenan's injured. Sorry, I should have prefaced by saying, so. So, say Keenan doesn't get back and you pick Frawley, what do you do with that other slot? Because I think you go Ringrose. He's been very, very good. Very harsh. Ringrose and and Robbie Henshaw were both covering the wing slots, and uh, Robbie did a post match interview, and we were asking, what, how did that work? And he goes. Well, neither of us have ever played there before, so it was basically the blind leading the blind. <laughs> so Ringrose, I think, comes in partly because he's Gary Ringrose. Um, partly because he's more versatile and you have 12 coverage from Bo Crowley and Frawley and you have then 13, 14. Yeah, I, I think that, that makes And he's played a bit in the wing this year recently with Leinster. Yeah, and, yeah. and I yeah. think, you know, it's a, it's harsh on McCluskey. McCluskey's whole career and it look, looks like he might go to Bayonne at the end of the season. So this might be the last hurrah for Stuart McCluskey in a green jersey. But um, God, he's making every minute he's out there count. He looks like such a comfortable... Like, he must feel like he's been robbed of 60-odd caps by just the, being born in this era. Yeah, and he um, had some big impacts. On, so like he, I know the game was won, but in the no, build-up... No, the fourth try. Like, yeah, I mean, bonus points try. could win the title. If yeah. they lose, if they slip up, like that all came from his tackling Conan and then he got in on the counter-ruck and they win the penalty and that's what builds up to the fourth try. He, and he's been superb and he was great in last year's championship as well. He was a real key player in that Grand Slam last year. So Yeah, and it was great 
like not that it really mattered in the end, but I'm glad he got to play against Scotland at the World Cup. He would have been the only player I think who didn't feature from mm. right in saying had, had there not been that little late injury to Bundyaki. But there'll be plenty of selection dilemmas and talking what's to get into next week. Before we finish up, I want to touch before we do our moment of the week. Uh, Dan McFarland gone from Ulster. You mentioned Stuart McCluskey there. It looks like there could be a pretty mass exodus at the end of the season. Remains to be seen exactly who's gone, but. You know, not for the first time, they've kind of lurched back into crisis. Richie Murphy will be in in a couple of weeks until the end of the season, and then who knows after that. Yeah, I mean, it's it was kind of, you could see the writing on the wall as we kind of talked about them, you know, when, when we have done, you know, it's been a fairly grim couple of years. Um, I think Dan McFarland did a very good job stabilising that club and, and putting them on the right track. And, you know, it's it's only, but just before he took over, Brian O'Driscoll was describing him as a basket case, and you couldn't really argue with them um, in the wake of the trial and everything. And I think he built a team that was very, very good and, and nearly took Leinster out in his first season in Europe and, you know, got close to a URC and in, in, certainly a URC final over in Cape Town that time. And really, that was the moment. If Manny Libach, or if that late try hadn't happened or if Ulster were able to hang on in that game, then they would have had a home final a week later against the Bulls. And at least even if it had gone sour, he'd have a trophy to, to, to look back on. But they were kind of just ended up being nearly men and they plateaued after that lost Jarrah Payne. And like they were just so bad this year, apart from like two weeks where they beat Racing and Leinster and there was like a dead cap bounce. And I think, you know, from what you hear, like at RFU level, it was a, it was a big uh, inquest into what we're going to do with this place because it's not pulling its weight. Like for the first time in the history of Irish rugby, they went to Marseille and they played an international without one player from Ulster. Like the first, first time, time ever, ever in the history of Irish rugby. They've had players... They've had the squads with no Ulster rugby player, but they've had players who are from from Ulster, like who played for Trinity or who were based in England. This was the first, like that's like of the it's supposed to be a four province model. Everyone pulling their weight. Well, right now Ulster is not really doing that. It's certainly not fulfilling its potential. And the fact that David Humphreys is starting his job next month as the RFU performance director who is probably most not one of the people in the world who's most synonymous with Ulster Rugby. And this is top of his, like, along with probably fixing women's rugby and keeping the show on the road on the national level, top, top of his of, of his uh, things to do. Can I ask you something? Because I, I was actually, uh, you know, a, a video came up my Instagram feed. It was you talking on Off the Ball. It was a snippet uh, about Ulster. And it was, um, you know, a lot of people always say, oh, why doesn't Leinster player X go there? Leinster player Y. And you were just saying that they don't want to go. They're being offered it and they're just saying, I'm not going. Well, I think Luke could probably yeah. speak, speak to this more than I can. But like, you know, players have gone both to Leinster, from Leinster to other provinces. Hasn't worked out. Like Jordy Murphy went and you would have thought, like, sorry, he, he had a good career with Ulster, but his Ireland chances kind of dried up after he left. I mean, uh, other players have gone and it's kind of just never really happened for them. I think... Players in Leinster see it as, and like we, we could talk about Frawley, you know, Scott Penny, there are a number, Max Deegan players who you think, well, God, get out of there and get some games somewhere else. But they feel, well, I'm only one injury away from getting a good, get good run of games at Leinster. And if I'm playing well for Leinster, then I get into the Ireland setup. But I think Luke maybe can speak to from a player's point of view as to what your motivation would be in terms of going or staying. But it's, I think when you're looking at what's going on up there, and they talk to each other as well, obviously, they've, been in, they've all been in national camps with players from Ulster. So they can always ring and go, what's it like up there? And if the word on the ground is that it's not great coaching-wise, then that's going to be a problem. Maybe Richie going up there, who has a great knowledge of the under-20s of the last couple of years and a good relationship with those players, and even some of the national players, he might have a better um, kind of relationship to be able to to leverage to get a player up the road. But I think it's a big, it's a hard sell, especially if they're losing all of their frontline players, or a lot of their frontline players, not all, that's very dramatic, but a lot of kind of, you know, they're starting 10 you know, their talisman and McCluskey, if he goes, there's a lot of players out the exit door this year. Um, 
So, and like filling the Ulster squad full of Leinster lads is not going to fix things either. Like it has to be a bit kind of, kind of, it has to come from within a little bit and they need to get more out of their academy and more players through. So it's a massive job. I don't know, like if Richie gets it or if they bring in someone, I know Brendan has, Brendan Fanning has floated Ian, Ian Foster's name as a kind of a, kind of an overseer to kind of come in. But whoever it is, it's a huge, huge job and the finances don't sound great either. So it's like the, it's, it's not going to be easy. Yeah, I don't know how they pay for Ian Foster if their finances aren't good. They pay for Stephen Kitsoff somehow. Yeah. Do you want to come in, Luke, on that or any of that? Yeah, look, it's a, it's, it's a tricky one, you know. Like, I, I'm not sure I'd ever been able to bring myself to go up and play for them, to be honest. But um, I think if you were stuck for a... Um, if you weren't playing in your position, like, I was always... I thought, like, if I was if I was fit, I was going to be starting in, in, a, in a position in Leinster, which straight away, like, wh- why would I move? So it's hard for me to speak to it. Um, personally, right? But I think if I was in different situations, though, I certainly would be considering it. Like, if I think of, like, Frawley is the one I've been calling for for ages because I feel like they've got a big problem at 10. Um, you know, Burns is kind of, he just he's just not going to take it to the top table, I don't think. And I think, look, he's a good player and he has some nice touches, some nice short kicking game, etc. But not a big guy and I don't think he gives you enough around the pitch. I always think Frawley, that is made for someone like him. He, and if he could come in alongside a Doe, Cooney on his inside, and then he's got McCluskey. Uh, Hume obviously hasn't really kicked on, but like he's still quality, you know, I think, and has, you know, certainly got potential. Um, and then you add one or two things into that pack. You get Henderson playing week on week. Um, and I think it look it would look quite different there because I think they have a dangerous back three. They've obviously had some bloopers in the last, like the Hiding Cup fixtures, like Jesus, like that was, or sorry, the, the Champions Cup. Uh, fixtures, you know, McCluskey and obviously a few other bloopers there from their back there. But generally speaking, they're pretty exciting and they're pretty good players back there. Um, I always feel like if you can sort out the pack and sort out 10, I think things could look very different very quickly up in Ulster. Um, I do think, you know, the academy is very important up there. I think if you think about the crowd and what it's all about up there, you know, having one of the, having their own, having guys that they can kind of cheer about. I, I don't think plugging loads of Leinster players is the answer. I think you're right on that. But I do think it would be a shame to lose out on some of the talent in Leinster, which is why I always say it. There's definitely a couple of names where I'm going to say, that guy's not going to play week in and week out for Leinster. He might play, you know, you know, and there's less league games for them to play in now as well. He's definitely not, he has, he's, that guy's relying on two injuries to get into a Champions Cup slot. You know, maybe even one. And that's never a situation you want to be in. You want to, and you need to show more of yourself to, to even come back to a situation if you were to come back to Leinster to get in ahead of those people or to get into an Irish setup. So there's definitely a case there for a few people in certain situations that are really, really top-class rugby players that just haven't been able to show their wear. Um, so I, there's a balance to be struck there in terms of that because you do need to have local guys. I, I do think if you sort out a few of those things and you like a good head coach in rugby, it's already in anywhere. It's already anywhere. Um you know, any sport, like it's so important. Like it's so important. You can think of it like you need someone that can get everyone moving in the right direction and that's smart. Um, you know, and I just I think Dan did a good job, but I think at some point his man management skills, I think, seem to have let him down somewhere as well. I think his relationship with the press wouldn't have helped. There's obviously financial stuff and, and all those kind of things that are going on bubbling in the background, which don't help, but I do think personality is quite important. Like you need people to like going into work every day. If you look at Farrell. Like even Schmidt, who's not unbelievably like he can be wearing because he's so demanding, like he's interesting and he's smart and you can go in there going, do you know what? Like this guy will win your rugby games. Um, 
if you don't have that, if you're not on another level like Schmidt is in terms of the detail, um, which I don't think McFarland is, he's very good, I, I hear, but if you're not at that level, you need to be kind of a nice guy, at least with your top, you're your, 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 not a nice guy, but you need to be a, you need to be a good, really good man manager, I think. And I'm not sure that that's always been the case up there. I think he can rub people up the wrong way. So um, I feel for him. I think it's a tough, it was a really tough job and it is still a tough job. Um, but I think the right decision was made. We talked about it, Will, the night before, like literally broke the next morning on the podcast that, that week. We were saying, yeah, it looks like it's kind of becoming untenable up there. So um, bad luck that we were talking about just the night before. We weren't able to give any clarity. But I, I feel for him, I think he'll get another job somewhere else. Hopefully the situation is different for him when he can make an impact because he's definitely a good coach. Um, but obviously he's kind of a gruff guy, I think. You can tell that from his interviews after the game. So I think he can rub people up the wrong way. So he might need to have a look at that and see if see if that's right. Um, yeah, so look, that's probably all I have to say on that one. It's a tough job. It's an unenviable task, I think, at this point, isn't it? Just with the finances in the background as well. Yeah, and it's t- like tough for you know, Richie Murphy coming in, I think, like a couple of days after the uh, last 20s game. He's off to South Africa for a two-match tour. That won't be easy. Like the record for the provinces going down there hasn't been great since the URC brought them in. And then there's the knockout games in Europe, which they might ultimately need to win that tournament to get into the Champions Cup. Well, they're above kind of like the Munster on the table, aren't they? Like they're not they're not in the doldrums as such. Like they're still firmly in the playoff race. They've been a consistently a playoff team. And there are good players there. So like, like if... if there are a lot moving on. I think there's a bit of a rebuild to be done at the end of this season. But if Richie can come up, go up there and harness what they have and give like even just the fact that a lot of those players haven't been playing for the team or the coach, I think, for a while. And um, there hasn't looked like a cohesive um everyone pulling in the right direction. So like I think there could be a bit of a bounce from having a fresh voice, you know. Like, you know, Luke would have worked with Richie, like he, he's done a very good job at the twenties. He's if he puts together a plan that they can follow and he goes on tour to South Africa, gets the players together, like not a lot of them will be involved with Ireland over the next couple of weeks. So there's a chance to bring them all, get a bit of feel good, a bit of siege mentality, come back, you know, they can even either sack off the Challenge Cup or give that a right good go or and, and go for the URC playoffs and, and get themselves in a pretty healthy position. Now, I'm not saying they're going to win everything, but in the short term, there's the, you can see you can see a path to them being very competitive towards the end of the season because... There's not many teams able to go and win in the RDS, and they've done that under Dan McFarland recently uh, during a low point in their in their kind of cycle. So I think the long term prospects are probably where I'd be a bit more doom and gloom. I actually think this season, if he can kind of galvanize them and get them playing, there's a there's a team there if they can keep Henderson fit and a couple of others to to at least give it a bit of a run for the rest of the season yeah. and get a bit of feel good going. Yeah, we discussed it with Jonathan Bradley when the, at the time when they were kind of pushing the Challenge Cup. Like, you know, it doesn't have that much cachet in terms of winning it, but there's good teams in it. Like, it would actually be a good rugby achievement to go through that and win it. Like, there's some quality teams in it. So, like, that would that, that's still something to play for. And as you said, the URC is still a live proposition, albeit last couple of weeks having a great result. So we're going to finish up now with the left-wing moment of the week in association with Bank of Ireland. I'm going with Duhan van der Merwe's try. The, well, which one? You might ask. The second <laughs> one, the long-range one along the touchline. And to be fair, to be fair to Duhan van der Merwe, like when he's on form with front football, he is an absolute handful. Like two really good tries against Wales, three really good tries against Twickenham. I know, Luke, you've, you're, I don't think you're a big fan he of this. He gave away the first try. He was out of position for the first try. Like he's all over the shop for the, for the English try. So like he'll give you one too, you know what I mean? If you can contain him, he'll but give a three you one. to one ratio. If you're giving one and, get, and getting three, like I, I think you can. Do uh it. <laughs> well, yeah, no, sorry, the one of them. Sorry, I think it's a. If you ask me personally, it's one for one. 
Like I think the one he makes is magic. The one he gets um where the the ing drop the ball, I think, isn't it? And they turn it over and he goes he goes sixty. That's the one you get. You're like, okay, well, he's square for me for the day. The other ones were kind of good team play, I think, as well, you know? No? Yeah, no, fair. Finn Russell like put one on the plate for him with a lovely kick and the other yeah. one was just like good rugby generally. But no, it's just to be fair, when he's in full pro, like he got a good one against Wales in the in the first round as well, where I think he beat a few defenders as well. So yeah, that, that's that's my moment of the week. I, you know, give one to Scotland. I, I've, I've given them enough grief over the years. I didn't mean show. to burst your balloon there. No, sorry, no, he's it's... magic when he's in full flow. Oh, sorry, yeah, like he, he's like a broken field runner, so strong, quick, good footwork. Like he's class in that. But he'd he'd get, I'd be nervous now if he was if I was the defense coach. I'd be thinking, oh, don't go down that side. But even his his finishing style when he's like he's trying to, he's obviously. Oh, why, a, why did he that do was the jump? So stupid. Why he he almost that? went into touch. Like he was like trying to get right in the corner. <laughs> but like, he take, take, before he but taking out the flag is part of the celebration, isn't it? That's that's what is he's it? trying to do. I think so because uh, otherwise he deviates from his line and puts his left foot closer to the touch line and then hurls himself into the flag and puts it down. It's so like it just gives you shivers about what Do could you happen. Do wonder how much is going on upstairs? You be you be you be, be kind of going like, well, that would that would make sense with how bad he is defensively. You know what I mean? But um, but it gives you like Freddie, yeah, you know, Freddie Burns against madness, I thought. like Freddie Burns against Toulouse. All the the, the you know was it I don't know was it Dominici years ago? Players who celebrate before they they put the ball down. It just give you the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, God. Rod, what's your moment of the week? Uh, I'm going to go for Calvin Nash's try and probably the, uh, the two moments in the... Sorry, James Nash, James Lowe's try. Yeah. Uh, Joe McCarthy's carry, like in a first half where Ireland kind of struggled to penetrate, he just found the the the, the right line and took out, like he left Rainwright for dead and then follows it up with Calvin Nash just drawing his man and, and producing a brilliant pass for, for James Lowe. It was, um, it was a high quality try. I know Ty Burns' try was pretty good as well, but I think that was the, probably the moment of the game, and it was the game I was at. So I'm going to go for that one. Yeah, well, we haven't, we didn't really get a chance to talk about Calvin Nash. He's had a really good tournament. Like stepping in for Matt Hansen, who we would have seen as a huge loss, and Calvin Nash slotted in very seamlessly. So fair play to him. Luke, you could sign us off. What was your moment of the week? Mine isn't a positive one, really. It's the kick, <laughs> the Italian kick, Carbisi one. I just love the drama. It's oh, it was unbelievable drama. To be <laughs> it real. was just drama, wasn't it? Yeah, I know. Um, I know it didn't work out as probably we all would have hoped, but I still think it was, yeah, it had everything, didn't it? It was like a Six Nations moment. It wasn't it last kick of the but, game? Sorry, I was going to say it was funny because like it was the last week, we, my moment of the week, I think, was a TMO France-Scotland moment. So if you're a French supporter, like you've had week, week one, you probably went down to Marseille as a big trip. Tri- big trip got absolutely hockeyed by Ireland. Week two, it comes down to that ridiculous play. I and mean, then week three, you have that ridiculous play. It's It's been a, it's been yeah, a, to- it's no, been a funny look, tournament. It, it's just drama, isn't it? But like, look, I know I said the quality hasn't been great in the Six Nations, but like things could all turn upside down if England beat us at home in kind of, you know, 10 days or so, um, which is not is unlikely, I think, but um, not beyond the realms. And I think, um, you know, the, the, to my mind, the competition still has these kind of big moments, you know, at the end of games. It's still a great competition. Even the France-Scotland one, you know what I mean? They're kind of, those, I know there's a few contentious ones and the f- officials have made a few mistakes, but it still keeps you on the edge of your seat. I just love this competition. I think it's brilliant. So yeah, that's my moment of the week. I think we should give a consolation prize or, or shout out to, uh, I actually had to look up his name, but Penny Assey, that was my original moment. I'm not, but... I'm not as committed. I'm not. I'm not going to lie and say I watched the game live, but I've watched the clip about a hundred times at this stage. What a try! That's a 105 meter try, isn't it? Oh, it's incredible. I honestly Pass. think it could be. A, if anyone doesn't know, stop for say wrestling at the weekend. Google, like you know, the, you'll find the try on YouTube. The, the stat winger scores. I think. I, I actually think it could be the best try I've ever seen. Just in terms of like an individual effort, like taking it along your own touchdown, like kind of sprinting across, getting away from the cover, a little chip. Ah, no. Like, Team, you got to go the, the 
Uh, you're going to have barbarians in the fifth, bar, bar. 50 years uh, ago. The amount of people touching the ball, like the pace he comes out. Uh, individual end, try, now. maybe your best individual try potentially. But It fits in well with the kind of Rupenny Kakao um, oh. YouTube reels that I've watched yeah. obsessively over the years. That against. Yeah. Like that's an, that, that, he's making people look absolutely silly in that, isn't he? Like that's Rougerie and his pomp and yeah. a few other top quality guys he got. He makes them look like nothing. Kakao at his best was unstoppable. Well, look, we we could debate these all night, but uh, we we we. Well, Cow got a bigger. We're going back twenty years for a moment of the week now. Moment of the century. Here, someone turn off Luke's mic. We, I, I think we're gonna, we're gonna. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Now, thank Luke and Rob for joining me on this week's episode of Left Wing Podcast. We'll be back next week with another show, looking ahead to Ireland versus England. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or listen on Independent.ie. So until next time, thanks so much for listening and goodbye. Thank you.